Okay, right, so I've used a different technology this time. Uh, to, this is what we were looking at last time. So we looked at questions that might arise. Why do we do music in a particular way? And this quote I didn't get because it had disappeared. At our members meeting in October, we had said that we were looking for someone to ensure that song material could be accurately projected without the preacher needing to organize this each time because you're aware that our projection technology uh, means that you can't just take an overhead transparency and whip it up there at a moment's notice. It's all got to be pre-planned, so that's, that's one feature, one factor. And we want somebody to be able to take initiatives so that new, good, appropriate Christian songs are sourced, so found uh, and learnt by the congregation. And if that person could lead and coordinate a team of musicians, that would be a good thing. So this is territory that we've, we've visited before as a church, and that was the, the, uh, the words that, were, that every member got on a piece of paper that was sent out. Do you remember reading those words? No. I copied them off a piece of paper that was uh, sent out. Uh, I mean, that, that's... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that's nothing new, is it? The, we've... we've um, We've been working along these lines for some time. So we've been sourcing and learning new songs sort of intermittently, depending, you know, when Catherine was here, we, we learnt new songs and with, with Maria. And uh, uh, so we've been doing that, but not very fast. And uh, a coordinating a team of musicians, I think we've, we've agreed in principle that's the sort of thing that we would like to do, depends on having people who are sufficiently gifted and have got time to practice and have got a good attitude to it uh, and so on and so on and are able to work together. So, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's, that's nothing new. Are, are, we, are we happy with that? I mean, it wasn't a piece of paper that was given to you on the 24th of October because I copied it off that. Are you happy with that? That broadly sort of, sort of nodding. Um, that, um, so our, our aim, as we continue to discuss, is that our, uh, we need to go forward with unity. Uh, so we need, as a church, to go forward understanding why we're doing what we're doing, understanding uh, the way we're going forward, because uh, I think the unity is most important. Uh, it's not... Things like this can be uh, a source of competition and conflict where one person or one group of people says, well, we want this, and other people say, well, we're not having that, and that can be a source of division. And uh, I'm quite sensitive to this. I don't want us to go forward as a church where we've got whispering and, and division, that, but we all know what we're doing together, and we're all happy with it. That does not mean that everybody's going to be happy with every song, but it's part of Christian graciousness to say, well, if this is helpful to such and such a person, I'm happy that they're happy, even though it's not my first choice. You know, that's a sort of graciousness in the way that the assembly runs. 
So not competing to get our own way. That's what I'm trying to avoid. Okay with me so far? Yeah. Okay. So what we looked at last time, so what we were doing last time was rather like doing a jigsaw and you start round the, round the edges, so all the blue bits of sky and all the straight bits and the corners, you fit that in and you gradually work into the middle. And so uh, that's what we were doing last time on this whole subject by looking at worship in a fairly general sort of way. And we went from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we said there's some words for worship in the Old Testament, in particular word number 7812. So uh, you may or may not know that a gentleman called Mr. Strong um, I think not all that long ago, sort of a couple of hundred years, no, anyway, a, a, a chap, went through the Bible and he gave every Hebrew word a number. And then you can, even if you don't know any Hebrew, you can look up in Strong's Concordance, such and such a word, can't pronounce it, but it is word 7812, and then you can look up, where is word 7812 used? It's not too difficult to do, uh, particularly there are computerized versions that, that you can use to do that looking up, which is what I was using last time. So this word uh, for worship is used in a certain number of places, forget how many. So Genesis 22.5 we looked at last time, do you remember where Abraham said, I'm going to take my son Isaac, we're going to go and worship and then come back. So we thought what he might have meant by that. Uh, Exodus 34:14 is, uh, well, let's look, I can't remember what it is actually. Exodus 34:14. Yeah. So this is when you go into the land. Where there are Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, it says uh, in Exodus 34, 13, break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. So there's an example of the use of worship. Uh, we saw that it's on several occasions linked with serve, so I think Deuteronomy 8.19 is just such an example. So worship and serve. So bowing down and saying, I will do what you tell me to do. I am, I, uh, you are the boss. I am the servant. That's part of worship, to worship and serve. And we also saw that it was linked sometimes with sacrifice. So in the Old Testament, uh, the, the worshiping system uh, would be linked with sacrifice. There's uh, such an example in 1 Samuel 1, 3, where <clears throat> it says, year after year, the man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. So we, we did this last time, and we said that uh, Old Testament, uh, there's a whole system of, worship, of sacrifices of animals, uh, there's temple and priests, and there's precise instructions how all that, uh, that works. Certain sacrifices, certain times of year, all this sort of thing. 
And we said that it would not be correct just to take that and say, okay, we believe in the Bible, so we will sacrifice animals. Uh, we will have a temple and priests. We will have a holy space. And uh, instead of having a pastor, we'll have a priest. It wouldn't be right just to copy all that into the New Testament because Christ um, makes a huge difference. And when we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we have to go through Christ to get there. And we looked at some uh, texts. We looked at John 4, where it says that the Father seeks worshippers. You remember that? And we looked at Romans 12.1. Let's look at that one. Which said which takes the idea of sacrifice and sort of turns it inside out, uh, sorry, pardon, sacrifice and worship, and turns it inside out for the Christian and says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So it takes that vocabulary of sacrifice of bodies and says don't go down to the butchers and buy a lamb so that you can go to church and offer it on an altar don't do that what you do do is because of Jesus Christ you bring yourself to God and you offer your whole life your body everything uh, you offer that as a living sacrifice Every moment that you're alive, every breath that you take, you offer yourself to God because this is your spiritual act of worship. You remember, it's a rather revolutionary thought, isn't it? And you with me so far? Yep. yep. One that I didn't mention last time is Romans 15, 16. Another use of the sacrifice language where Paul is talking about his work as a missionary and his aim to take the gospel across the world outside Jewish circles into the, the Gentile world and he says in Romans 15 uh, Romans 15 verse 15 I've written to you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister it's almost like a priestly minister there of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God sanctified by the Holy Spirit so again, we're using sacrificial language, um, but th this is a, a, a slightly different thing again. He says, what I'm offering is not, is not animals. I don't want animals offered to God, but I want the lives of men and women all over the world to be offered to God, and I'm part of that. And I'm, you know, this is priestliness nowadays, evangelism, so that people... Um, the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So that's one we didn't look at last time. And 
to my mind, 1 Corinthians 14 is a key chapter because it tells us about the things that go on in the assembly. And in my understanding of it, it keeps on repeating a profoundly important principle that what goes on in the assembly when we gather together as church is that the things that are, that are done must be, for example, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And to my, in my understanding of it, he keeps saying, what you need to do, whatever it is, is it must edify the church. And he explains the sort of things he means. So in verse 16, he says, if you're praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Or why is he not edified? Because he can't understand. So the intelligibility. No, he might sense that you're very excited, but unless he can understand what you're saying, it is not edifying. So he says in verse 18, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, when we're assembled like this, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So I think he's just emphasizing the same thing again and again. What you do when you're in the assembly must be intelligible, understandable, because then it's edifying. And if it isn't edifying, you shouldn't be doing it in the assembly. Okay, that's just to repeat what we saw last time. So here's hopefully a little picture coming up. Yes. Okay, here's a, here's a picture of the world. And here is, um, here is a man climbing a tree to pick fruit or something like that, a farmer. Here's a family. Here's a, a man doing some gardening. Here is a, a musician. Uh, here is, uh, just to, so I wasn't being sexist, here is a lady uh, instructing a crane driver how to drive a crane. <laughs> and here is a... a a little house in which people have assembled as church. Now, here's a question. Let me get a different color. Here's a question. How much of that is worship? Where is worship taking place? Or where should worship be taking place? All over. All over. So, this, from here, from, whoops, From one end to the other is worship. It ought to be worship. If those are Christian people, all of that ought to be worship. And here, this is still worship, what happens in the church. What's the difference between the worship out there and the worship in there, if any? What's the difference? They're all together, yeah. Okay, so they could be doing, hearing the word preached, yeah, it could be words. 
Okay, well, I would like to say that it's all worship, and what goes on here is the worship that is edifying. Yeah, edifying. What, what he actually says is edifying the church. So I think this is building up Christians. So encouraging faith, encouraging hope, encouraging love, encouraging holiness, encouraging gratitude, and doing it in a way that, that builds us up together. So it's different from saying, you sit in your corner and read your Bible, you sit in your corner and sing, you sit in your corner and do something else. It's a corporate activity that the things that are said and done edify the church. Yeah, does that, is that helpful? So do, do interrupt me if I'm not making sense. Does that... Does that um, I'm sure that needs thinking about more than more than that, probably deserves a better answer, but I think that, that gets us on the right track. So we would, we would come to church and go away thinking, I learnt something, I was reminded of something, I participated in something Christian, something that is enabling me to be stronger and enabling us to be a stronger church. Is that fair enough? Okay, so that's sort of where we got to last time. So there are two things I'm going to say this evening that make me feel as though I'm Ebenezer Scrooge, okay? Uh, which I, I think, am I really like that? Oh, perhaps I'd leave that to your judgment. Let's just talk about these three questions here. So... What sort of things, then, constitute worship done in the assembly? Uh, I wanted to look at this uh, expression that people use, a time of worship, and see what your thoughts are on about that. And then also a question, what offerings can we bring to God? Okay, so there's, there's sort of three slightly random questions on this. But I just want to... Uh, Get us thinking on those. Are you prepared to answer that while we're all sitting like we are? Um, is there a microphone just so that to bring it a little bit closer? So any, any of those questions in, in, in any order? Anybody like to say anything about any of them? So Anya's going to say something here. So nice and slow, Anya. <clears throat> uh, worship for me is very personal thing, and I think for everyone as well, because our faith and our walk, walk with God is very personal, although it's also corporate. Uh, for me, it's often associated with, for example, like a band. I love my husband, and I can tell, you know, Bendy, I love my husband. He's so amazing, you know, he's wonderful. But I actually never go to him and say this to him personally, Ben, I love you. And worship for me is something I want to tell God, how amazing he is, how great he is, what he has done. And sometimes I can think about myself, God, you loved me great, and I'm, I'm so good person, or you say, me, I can think about myself, talk a lot about me, but I want to talk about him. I had enough of myself, really. 
Okay. Let's, uh, let's just have, have a think about that. So you're saying worship is very personal. Yeah, okay. So I think the question is, we're, we're each going to come wired up in a different way. We've got different ways our inner being works. And I think what we have to say is, okay, this is what it is for me, but, what, but we also ought to think, what does the Bible say it has to be for everybody else? example, today we sang this Psalm 22, yeah. and that one wasn't very, like, it's a song, but maybe half of us feel like really you are warm today, and you're really down. I could not face to sing that, because I do not feel that it would be hypocrisy to me to sing that, as if I sing God, you are great, it's always truth. It's yes. always truth, and it's truth for everyone, hopefully here. Yeah. So who is everyone who is Christian it will be truth, and they, everybody will be able to participate in that. Yeah. Okay, well, Psalm 22 isn't about me or about you. It's about Jesus. So do you say, hmm, well, that's an interesting thought because we're told to sing psalms. So what should, what should our response be if we have a psalm which is uh, like Psalm 22? So it's not about us. It's not me saying, you've forsaken me. It's entering into, it's about Jesus Christ, isn't it? It's, it, it the, the psalm is about him. So, oh, okay, I mean, I don't, I don't have to answer the... It's not clear for visitors, for example, non-Christian came and he's singing those words. It's not clear Jesus sang that. For non-Christians, it's not clear at all. Okay. So, okay, so you think it needs explaining. Yeah, okay. But it is a psalm, and we are commanded to sing psalms. So it may be that means that we have to adjust what, how we're, we're thinking about it. Because it doesn't necessarily mean that we've got to identify ourselves with everything that is said. So when it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're not saying God has forsaken me. We're saying that is the experience that Christ had on the cross because he's the one who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't it? So thank you for that. Uh, that that's, a, that's a very good thought. It makes us think about what we're thinking when we're singing things. Um, okay, thank you very much. So any other thoughts? It's very helpful, very stimulating thought, that. Um, first of all, a comment about um, your comment, worship is about God. Mm -hmm. um, well, I said that, did I? I think so. I'm not conscious of saying that, but that doesn't um, mean I didn't say well, it. Well, certainly that the one would... The Psalm, Psalm 22 that we sang, we would, we would, I think, agree that we were worshipping when we sang it, and that was about God. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the centrality of worship is about him. Yeah. 
in that sense. Okay, yes. Um, and I don't mean that there's nothing personal about it because in a sense our relationship to God is personal. Yes. And, and that is apparent even when we're worshipping corporately, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think sometimes the phrase a time of worship, it, it's often used to refer to not the whole of a service, but to part of the service, yeah. which is often largely corporate singing. Yeah. Um, so an initial comment on that. I, th I think the phrase is, is it, the, the way it's used in practice is misleading. Yeah. Because I think the whole of what we do corporately together, and indeed, as you've said, the whole of life is worship. Yeah. So to, to label part of our corporate time together a time of worship as if the rest of it is something different, I think is misleading. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what I think. I feel a bit like Ebenezer Scrooge saying it, but I, I totally agree with you because I don't think, if this is a correct description, I think it is the way the Bible looks at it. All our time is worship. There should not be a time that is not worship. Yeah. And when we, when we come together, um, everything that we do, if, it, if, it, if, it's, if it's valid in the assembly, even talking to one another before and afterwards, uh, is worship. So reading the Bible, we're doing God the service of listening to his word. Praying, we're coming to him. Singing, yes. Um, even giving out cups of tea is worship. So I think what people mean is a time of singing. It's what usually people mean. Yeah, perhaps, but, can I just yeah. give one more comment yeah, on sure. that? Um, I think, I don't have any intrinsic problem with, with singing sort of two or three, a number of songs one after the other. Yeah. Although it's not something that, that we generally do. But I do think that occasionally, I'm sure some of us have been in situations where the singing of, of an, perhaps a greater number of songs, one after another, have in practice sometimes meant that the focus of the worship becomes my feelings more than it's about God um, in practice. Okay. Well, if I may, I'd like to maybe, maybe I mean, that's on a that slightly week. separate point. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'd like to come, if I, if I can, God willing, next week to this matter of uh, emotions and music and stuff like that. So, but thank you. So... Um, Thank you very much.
So we sort, we sort of, does anybody else want to say anything on those questions? Yes, David. Sorry, just one thought. Um, when you did the box around the church and said that whatever's happening there has to be edifying. Yeah. And I think perhaps the crux of, of that is, is, is there a narrow range of things that is considered edifying or is there actually in the, in the sense that God is a very creative God, um, is there actually quite a wide range of things that are edifying? And I suppose if I'm picking up Anya's point of us telling God that we love him. Yeah. So if in a meeting like this someone expresses their, just their joy in being loved by God, yeah. um, there might not be a lot of truth in it, but someone is just expressing their joy. Is yeah. that edifying? I think it is, because it would encourage, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, yes. Of course, Might so we just need to be a little bit careful. So if, if the person praying in tongues was expressing their love to God, uh, and they might be very, very enthusiastic about it, so you see they're obviously enthusiastic about something, yeah, yeah. but if you didn't understand it, then it would not pass the test yeah, of being edifying. I, I agree yeah. um, that, that if, it's, if there's something like that, it needs to be interpreted. But I'm just saying that some of our very different ways of reacting to God... Uh, some, uh, I mean, that's a, there's actually a lovely worship song I, I know that talks about what it would be like when I see Jesus. Will I dance for him? Will I, will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? You may know it. But there is such a wide variety, according to the kind of people we are, as how, to, how we respond to Jesus. And I just think there's room for uh, being encouraged in, in a very wide variety of ways. Uh, and I, don't, I just... Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, personally, I would draw a line just before dance, because I don't think dance is intelligible. I mean, uh, I, I suppose there's, there's, there's situations where it could be interpreted, and somebody could say, this person is now showing that Christ died on the cross for them, or this person is now just showing that they love God very much. But I, I would draw the line at dance and say, that you know, it's fine, it, it's got a, a place like music and everything, it's worship of God. Mm. But in the assembly, uh, I can't quite myself, I mean I could be wrong, but I can't quite see how it edifies in being intelligible. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think we're probably picking on a couple of things. If, as you say, if, there's, if, there's, if it's difficult to understand what it means, yes, it, it may not be so obviously edifying, but there's just a vast variety of the ways we are encouraged by one another. That, yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think this, it's quite, this bit here means that there's a lot of things that are, yeah. are, are edifying, so, and therefore our worship. Yeah. Um, but it does draw a line and say there's some things that are worship but they're not edifying. Yeah. So, um, personally, I'd put dance outside that. I know okay. some Christian people have a ministry yeah, of dance. I admire them very yeah. much, but I just think, not for me. I don't think I could. Yes, I wasn't really raising that as a subject, no. Yeah. What, did, did you have something, Wendy? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I thought it was a very helpful definition, Brenda, and, you know, to give us 
you know, remind us that actually um, worship is what we do throughout. And having been in churches that have what they call a time of worship, I think probably it, it is the wrong name for what goes on. Um, but having said that, I do quite like the time as I would call it a response to what we've heard as a time of worship, which doesn't have to actually just be song. It can be prayer and reading as well. Yeah. Yep. I, mean, I think I, I'm far from trying to justify that what we do or is the only way to do things. Uh, and I, I'm sort of very far from saying that the only way is, you know, sort of what gets called a hymn sandwich. Um, but response... Uh, uh, yes, uh, I mean, I think I'll come on to this an, an next, but I think it is responding to the truth about God. Because I think there is a, there is a danger in what one actually is responding to is, is something other than that. But re- responding to the word of God, to what he has said to us, I think is... <coughs> Sorry, do you want to pass the microphone over? Sorry, I would say a reflective response because it would give you a chance to reflect yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, like I was also thinking, you know, about the song, you know, um, the Psalm 22 song yeah. that we sung. And, you know, although God is a very personal God, he's a very relational God. And I felt that it, that song we're like sharing in the experience of how Jesus felt yeah. as a... That, I thought it was more like a sharing experience rather than a, a personal reflection. It's not saying something about me, it's saying something... No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we're, we're, we're delving into what Christ went through and yeah. sometimes we can feel that for ourselves. Yeah. And there was a positive outcome yeah. at the end of that. Yeah. So... Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Hannah. Maria wanted to say something. Um, in regard to what um, we've been talking about, in, in that um, worship isn't necessarily just about God, but it's also, uh, if, we, if we take the Psalms, for instance, quite a few of the Psalms talk about us. For instance, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he yeah. leads me beside quiet waters. So we're talking about ourselves in relation to God. So it's it's not just about him, it's about us in relation to him as Uh, well. What I would like to say is, because I remember reading a a book which said, um, we should get back to pure vertical worship as if that was, what, that was what we should be aiming for. Um, and what I, well, I, I know what the Bible says is that real worship is vertical and it's also horizontal. And if it isn't both of those things, it isn't worship. Well, no, sorry. If it isn't both of those things, it's not what we do when we're together. And, and I'll, I'll hope to demonstrate the truth of that in a moment. Roberto. I really interested. In, I really like the way you you structure the the evening. And my thought is, you talk about edifying. Yeah. What what is God edifying the church? Why there is 
Outside, we have the living God in us. But why we need to be together, to yes. be edified? What, yeah. what is building? Yeah. That's the, only, the main difference. We, we are one here. Yes. Different gifts. Yes. And different problems. Sometimes different. we need different problems. Problems, yes. We come here humbling ourselves most of the time. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're not. It means yeah. God is always building on us. I, I like to see the church, and every time I see one of you, I see God. That's the way I think the assembly is built on, yeah. with different ministry, different gift. That, that's the word I really like is the previous page, unity. You really stress that word. Everything needs to be done in unity. Yeah. I'd like to add just this to talk about it. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, one, of the, one of the seams and strands of that is what, is, uh, what the Bible says, there are, there are one another ministries. So confess your sins to one another, encourage one another, submit to one another, pray for one another. So all these things go on uh, in, in the assembly. So there's, there's one another which means just sitting while one person talks is not the whole thing at all. It's, you know, when we pray in little groups or when you greet people at the beginning, at the end, that's part of it. You know, we haven't finished when the last hymn is sung. Uh, we're just moving to another part of what, what goes on together. Okay, um, so that was revising last time. Shall we, shall we start this time some study? Uh, so let's do, let's do a little, little bit of this, and then um, I'm sure you will have had enough. So what I wanted to look at this time was what does the Bible say about singing? Uh, or in particular, what does the New Testament say about singing? And there are, I could find about 10 places where it's mentioned. Uh, and and uh, so I've missed out the Song of Moses. I've missed out the Psalms. I've missed out what happens in the Old Testament in the temple. Uh, but I've jumped into the New Testament. Are you with me? Are you happy to do this for a few minutes? Or would you prefer to? So that's two people at least. Right. Um, so here's, this is my second Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, moment, uh, which is this. Uh, this is the question, can angels sing? Okay, the question, can angels sing? I think that's, there's actually quite a profound answer to that. Um, but let's, let's go through and we'll find all the verses which talk about angels singing. So I've looked up in my concordance, sing, song, songs, sang. And this is what I've come up with. Are you up for looking at these? So Revelation 15, they're working backwards from the end, actually. Revelation 15, and I'm quite happy to not finish this, but to carry it on next time. Revelation 15, 3. <clears throat> it 
it says, oh, verse 2, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire standing beside the, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over, his number, over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord? and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy, all nations will come to you and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So I don't know what tune they sang it to. Looks quite difficult to find a tune for that. Um, Who's doing the singing? Who does it say is doing the singing? Yeah, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. So these are the people who were in the battle and came out victorious. So it's not angels. Uh, it's, it's people. It's us. It's, it's, it's the redeemed people. And so you notice they are singing. So that's a, that's a right, a deeply right thing to do, to be singing God's praise. They are addressing themselves to God. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. So they are addressing themselves to God. But you notice they are addressing themselves to God in a way that communicates something to the rest of us. Well, why are you great and mighty? Because just and true are your ways, King of the ages. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So it's, uh, it's worship to God, but it's not just simply saying, I love you. That is, a, that is a, you know, a valid thing to say, but in this case they're saying, I love you because... This I'm worshiping you because so they're sort of spelling it out. Are you happy with that? That's just one one example. It shows us that uh, that, that singing is part of what we were made for. Uh, Fourteen three. Fourteen three. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Okay, who's singing? The redeemed. Who else can sing this? No one. Um, That's an interesting thought, isn't it? That there is something that redeemed people have to sing about that no one else has to sing about. Only the redeemed people can sing this. Redeemed, meaning bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. He died for these people. They've been bought by his blood and they alone can sing this song. They alone can say, thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for doing this for me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. See, the angels don't have that song because they haven't been redeemed. But only we can sing that. 
See, that's a wonderful privilege, isn't it? Revelation 5, 9. When he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Let me do the next sentence. Um, I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice to do this literally. They said, I know it says different in your translation. It says it different in mine, but I looked it up. They said, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Now, uh, who are the people who did the first bit, the, the singing? Yeah, that's what it says, isn't it? It says the, the four living creatures and the 24 elders. Now, so if they were angels, that would contradict. I would be wrong. So maybe I am wrong. But I don't, I'm going to stick to, I'm going to stick to what? Uh, I'm going to stick to my thing, which is I don't think angels can sing. If you look... It, yeah, but it, it, that's... A mistranslation, look it up. Verse 13. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying. I know, it's, but it's lego, it's, which is to say. Uh, so our translators, I think, confuse us in this. But I, I, so this is, this, is, this is me being Ebenezer Scrooge because everybody knows angels sing at the birth of Jesus, but it doesn't say that at all. It says they say. But even if I'm wrong, here's the important point. God has given human beings the ability to sing. Animals don't sing. Well, they sort of chirrup and stuff. I don't think angels can sing, but anyway, maybe I'm wrong. But only the redeemed can sing the song of the redeemed. Only the redeemed. You know, that means that Christians have got a special thing that they can sing the song of the redeemed. And you know, what a song to sing. To, uh, we can do that. What a gift we've been given to be able to, to sing God's praises. Um, so, uh, I mean, that, that's a wonderfully... Uh, inspiring thing. We can sing the praises of God. Isn't that brilliant? We can sing the song of the redeemed. Nobody else can sing it. Isn't that totally brilliant? Now, what a gift God's given us to be able to do that. All right, let's do one, one more verse. I'm going to do, let's go to Colossians 3.16 and, and then we'll stop. There aren't that many verses, well actually there's two, I think, basically, that talk about, no, that's not right, three, 
that talk about singing in the assembly as such. Uh, and this is one of them, Colossians 3. I take it from verse 15. And let, uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, let's imagine uh, an assembly. Uh, some of this is certainly true outside the assembly, but it's certainly true inside the assembly too. So here's the assembly. Now, would anybody from those verses like to tell us any of the qualities that are supposed to describe that assembly? Any of the, the sorts of things that go on in a, in a group like that from verses 15 to 17? Okay, I'll hold on to that one for a moment. Let's take this. So thank you for that. We'll come back to that. Anything else? Peace? Yeah. Thank you. So it, it talks about the unity of this group, and it says that it's be characterized by peace. So we're sort of working together, a sort of um, intermeshing, as opposed to conflict and bitterness, and, uh, you know, factions, so peace. Uh, yep, anything else that is supposed to characterize this group? Thankfulness. Yeah, so this is a group of people of which you could say a predominant feature is that they are thankful. That's a nice thought, isn't it? You know, you go to a, you go to a lot of groups and their predominant mood is moaning. Isn't it? That's right. Oh, the council haven't done this, or uh, see what the boss has done, or do you know what she said yesterday? And it's m about moaning. But the, the, the fellowship of the church should be about thankfulness. You come to, they're thankful. Thank God for this. Thank God for that. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for what he's done for me. Uh, so thankfulness. Yeah, thank you. Anything else? Thank you. So this is... The, what uh, sort of is stamped through here, I can't write that, but the word of Christ, the message of Christ, the message about Christ, it's, it dwells there in what way? Richly. Which is a wonderful thing, isn't it? So if you were to go, if you're, a Martian was to come into the assembly and just listen, you know, wonder what they're talking about there. Oh, they seem to be talking about Christ. Uh, and those people are talking about Christ as well. And uh, a chap at the front talked about Christ, and they seem to sing a song. Oh, that's about Christ too. The, the word of Christ richly sort of is soaked in. You know, if Jamie Oliver were, were making a recipe for church, he'd say, oh, we're going to take the word of Christ, we're going to whack it in there. Mmm, that's delicious. Mm, yeah, get those flavors. That's what, that's what it would be. The word of Christ richly uh, dwells in this church. Okay, so now what activities 
does it say? It does talk about an activities. Okay, you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So it does say sing psalms, so I, I take recourse to that. So it's right to sing psalms. Perhaps we need a little bit more thinking about what we, or how we do so, but it does say sing psalms. Who are they sung to? Which, so if I do a singing, let's, have a little, let's do a singing here. There's some musical notes. Who to, to, to God? Okay, so which verse does it say to God? <coughs> End of 16, with gratitudes in your hearts to God. So it's vertical. Okay, is that all? No. You teach and admonish one another as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's right, isn't it? That's what it says. Isn't that the word? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So it's got both those directions. You're singing with gratitude to God and you're teaching and admonishing one another as you do so. That's what it says. That's what happens in the assembly. So, you see, it, it, it isn't just sideways and it isn't only vertical, it's both. Uh, I mean, what, what, what might count as teaching and admonishing one another. Well, let me just see whether I can find a psalm that does something like that. So I'm wondering whether... Psalm 95, whether it, it, because Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. So... That's about God, but it's admonishing one another. It's saying, let me get the quote right, it's saying, come, let us sing for joy to God. Let us shout aloud to the God of our salvation. So it's addressing one another, isn't it? That's a sideways thing. So it's saying, are you going to do that? You're up for shouting aloud to the God of our salvation. Come, let us sing to the Lord. So it's, it's not just saying, you know, what I think about God. It's, it's, it's a it's sideways thing again. For the Lord is a great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. That's edifying, isn't it? You think, yes, that's who God is. I've, you know, I, I grasp that. And then it, 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 it let's admonish and, and instruct. Come, let us bow down in reverence. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. No, that's addressed to one another, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. For we are, for he is our God. We're the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Okay, thank you very much for your contributions and patience. Um, it didn't get as far as we wanted, but I hope it's useful. I hope we're getting a little bit the hang of this and understanding one another. Would anybody like...